Hey, how you guys doing this morning? All right, good, okay. That's my second service cheer that I don't usually get because they're all in the first service. First service is always like all pumped. Second service, you guys, even though you guys got an extra hour of sleep, it's like, oh, yeah, we're here, you know. But not today, that's good. Um, well, here, years ago, uh, our church here at Grace, our college group here at church, we uh, got together and we played this game that we lovingly called Assassination, okay? And um, the way we would play this game is we got about 30 of us all together, and we gave everybody a card, and on that card was written a name of somebody else who was playing the game. Now, you might know this person, or maybe you don't know this person, and it didn't really matter. And your goal throughout the week that we were playing this game is, number one, you were to hold this card or carry this card on you at all times, okay? If you were caught without the card, you were out. You were, you know, you, you lose. Um, so you had to hold this card on you, either in your wallet, in your purse, um, in your pocket, whatever. And um, you were to hunt down and track down the person whose name was on your card, whether you knew them or not, and you were to shoot them with a water gun, okay? So that's how we played, and that was the name of the game. And so um, this, we, and again, we played this throughout the entire week. And so the goal throughout the week was you wanted to track down as many people as you could. Basically, first of all, you wanted to survive the week, and then you also wanted to collect as many cards as you possibly could. And so we did this as like a team building thing. Hey, we'll get to know each other, some of us a little too good, um, and uh, this will be a good thing. And we had some rules on it. We said, hey, there has to be some safe places where you don't have to worry about getting shot. Um, one we said was at church, because inside the church building, because we didn't want people worried, you know, not coming to church because they were afraid of getting shot. All right, so we had that one. The second place was your bed. Everything else was fair game. So that means work's fair game, your bathroom's fair game, your house is fair game, your car's fair game. Everything's fair game, and you're just out there. And it's kind of interesting that you would think, like, the weapon of choice would be, like, a giant super soaker where you could reach, you know, you could get them, like, way back there. You could get them from far distance, but that's not true, all right? We learned quickly that that was not the best way to go. Something like this was the best way to go, 99 cents at the Dollar General, uh, because these... They're small, you can conceal them, and they also shoot pretty far. You know what I mean? Sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> but they shoot pretty good. And, uh, and, and so you could go in, do the deed, walk out, and you're done. You don't have to worry about anything. It was all good. And so, again, this is on the surface, this game, um, we were like, this is going to be real fun. You kind of get to play like secret agent for a whole week, and it's kind of real, but kind of not. And we even, I don't know if I said this, we even had like a Facebook group that when someone got shot, we had their faces on there. They had the big X through it, so we knew like the group was dwindling down and down and down as the week um, went on. But uh, this game was terrible, okay? It was not fun at all. It was, it was awful because you were in constant paranoia, okay? You're always looking over the shoulder. You couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust your best friends. You couldn't trust your family. You couldn't trust anybody because you didn't know who was coming after you, and you didn't know, um, you know, you didn't know what was happening because that was always changing as more and more people died. And so college kids are crazy, okay? They do a lot of dumb things. And so, um, there's like no bounds here. And so people were sneaking into people's houses. People were hiding in trunks of cars. People were walking into people's workplaces, shooting them, and then walking out. I mean, it was weird. Um, people, were, people were like faking breakdowns on the side of the road, just so, so you know, just calling people for help. It was just, it was, it was, dude, people were lying to each other. People were deceiving each other. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And um, what I learned about through this week 
remember one morning, it was on Saturday morning, I got up from my bed and I walked out into the, into the hallway of our house and I, was, and I realized, I was just like, it's too quiet in here. Something's going on. It's too quiet. What's, what, you know? And so I locked my door. I crawled out through my window, walked around to the front door of the house, walked in, saw my buddy Scott standing on the corner waiting for me to come out of my room. And so I got, jumped in my car and left and didn't come back for like four hours. Okay, that's how serious we took this kind of stuff. Um, but what I realized throughout this week is that when you lose feel, the feeling of peace, safety, and security, it bothers you. Like, you notice. Like, it's a real thing. And even the places, especially the places that, you, that you're used to feeling the most safe in, like your own home, all right, suddenly didn't feel very peaceful, didn't feel very safe, and didn't feel very secure. I mean, even for me, I mean, I'm laying in bed at night, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, okay, um, I got to make sure everything's, like, locked up. But one of my buddies, they might break into my house. And then if they drag me off my bed, technically I'll be off my bed, and they could shoot me, and then I'm out of the game. And I, we all took this so serious, and we were always looking over, you know, looking over our shoulders. Uh, even Pastor Mike, beloved Pastor Mike, who spoke here last week. You guys got to listen to him. Even Pastor Mike, he got caught by a police officer in the trunk of somebody's car waiting to shoot them as they got into their car to, to go to work in the morning. I mean, it's just, I'll let him tell that story, but um, not, a great, not, a, not a great look, I guess. But you just never felt safe, right? And people were creative and people were going crazy because we were a bunch of college kids. And that's a similar feeling, I feel like, to what the people in the Colossian church were probably feeling at this time when Paul writes this letter of Colossians. These guys are brand new Christians. Right? They haven't been Christians for very long. They've just given their lives over to Jesus. And when they did that, I'm sure they felt that peace, safety, and security that many of us, we have felt too when we've given our lives over to Jesus. It's just kind of like, if you're like me, it's just like a weight lifted off your shoulders where it's like, oh, you can breathe like a sigh of relief because your eternity, I mean, it's pretty important. Like your eternity is set. You have that relationship. You have that void filled with God that, uh, that so many of us have. And so these people, I'm sure, felt that at first. But then some other people, they come in on the scene. They say, whoa, guys, hey, you guys are new Christians. Okay, that's cool. You could be a Christian, but, but you think you're secure, that you're going to be going to heaven for eternity? Not so fast. All right, you think you're set, you think you're, you're good spiritually? No, 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 no. You still have work to do. Sure, you can start with Jesus, but what you need to do to advance is you got to advance by doing all these things and doing all these traditions and, and kind of uh, climbing up the ladder. And what these people are actually doing and what these people are come in teaching the Colossian church is that they are actually merging surrounding beliefs with Jesus. And so this idea that to have actual real faith you got to do these things. I just want us all to understand before we get going this morning that that is not from God. Right? It's not from God whatsoever. And so some of you guys, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, um, I mean, this is church and stuff. Uh, isn't that what, like, what religion is? Like, isn't that religion? You got to do all these, you know, do a bunch of good things to make God not mad at you anymore. So you just do, 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 do to feel good about yourself. And, and maybe that was you at one point and you're just like sitting there and you're just like, you know what? I, like, I just got tired of it. It's like doing all this stuff and I could just never do enough. And so you moved on. And I just want to say, I totally understand that. That sounds terrible. But the thing you got to understand is that the secular version is the same thing. You're just, taking, you're just taking the religious language out of it. It's the same ladder. 
right? Do these things. What's the world tells, tell us that we got to do to achieve true peace and true happiness and to feel fulfilled? What do we got to do? Well, we got to get those degrees. We got to be respected. We got to achieve these goals. We got to get that job. We got to make that wealth. We got to have that house. We got to drive that car. We got to support these causes also that we can feel peace, safety, and security that we all want so bad. I mean, it's the same ladder. It's just leaning up against a different wall. See, both secularism and religion both get their power from the fact that we don't feel good about ourselves. Right? Like deep inside, every single one of us, we feel like something is wrong. We don't feel okay. And so what do we do? Well, we go searching. Right? And we find... Um, we find the author or we find the podcast, and what do we do with that? They, they tell us, oh, yeah, there is something wrong with you. All you got to do is you got to buy this book, do these five steps, and, and we're like, okay, that sounds good. I'll try that for a while, and then we do it, but it just doesn't fix anything. Feel the same afterwards. Maybe we feel good just maybe for a little while. See, I think the Colossian church, when Paul's writing this, is these people are getting caught up in this type of thinking. And what ends up happening is Jesus becomes an ingredient to achieving peace, safety, and security. An ingredient out of many ingredients. And so Paul, he's writing this church because of that. Um, Paul, he's imprisoned in Rome. And his whole point of this book or this letter is he's saying, no, 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 you got to understand. Listen in. He's saying, it's neither secularism. That's not the answer. The answer is not religion either. And what Paul does is he does not point you to what you must do. He points you to what has been done. And those are two completely different ways of looking at it. And so today um, it's going to get a little crazy. All right, there's some complicated stuff that we're going to be talking about this morning. And, um, and I got 25 minutes to do it. So you guys, if we're all on the same page, we'll go ahead and jump right in. This, some of these things that we're going to be talking about, it's so good, though. It's so, like, rich with what Paul's trying to say. So um, we'll go through this. He first starts off, he's saying, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. Be careful. All right? He starts off, this is a warning. He's saying, you need to watch out. Right? That nobody takes you captive. And really this word captive is the same word that they would use for slaves. It has that connotation um, with it. So he's saying, hey, watch out right? that no one takes you as a slave. No one takes you um, captive right? through what? Through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements. Elements here, he's referring to the enemy. He's talking about Satan and his fallen angels of the world rather than Christ. Now, this is complicated, and we're looking at this, we're like, okay, what? What is he saying here? And I think it might be easier if we actually read this backwards. He's saying, hey, Satan and his demons, Satan and demons, fallen angels, he's saying, the enemy is real. And you know what the enemy does? The enemy, right, uses human tradition to lie to us and to create a false philosophy about how we should live our life, which in turn enslaves us, which in turn takes us captive. And so the world's full of this. I mean, we see this all the time. You, you know, it's all around us. It's ingrained in us that the world gives us ideas and like what Paul says, a philosophy of life, basically ways that we should live our life. And what's the end goal? Well, to find that peace, safety, and security. Like that's why we do everything, you know, many of the things that we do. And when we buy into these lies that the world's constantly pushing upon us, we are actually thinking, hey, I know how to do life better than God. Right? Isn't that what we actually think? Like we boil it down to the foundation of what, of what we're thinking. 
Like, okay, I know God wants me to do this, but I, I, you know, I know how to do money better. I know how to do relationships better. I know how to do my career better. I know how to do my marriage better. Like, I know my situation, and maybe I know, you know, I know God's God, but I know my situation. I know what I should do. And maybe we don't say it out loud. Probably none of us say out loud that, hey, I know better than God. Like, we don't say that, but our actions screen it. Like our actions are like all over it. And so what we do is we put hope in the stuff of this world. Now, some people are thinking, you know, in our society, it's like, well, is there anything wrong with stuff? No. No, there's nothing wrong with stuff. God's not against you having, God's not against any of us um, having stuff that has, that has nothing to do with it. But for some of us, I mean, we're on our third house because you think that you will make, that's what will make you truly happy. You know, that you think, well, if I only have this house or I, if I only have this car, then I'll have peace, safety, and security. Like, you think granite countertops and extra half bath are going to fulfill you in life. I could tell you, it doesn't. Like, it, it's not going to. You'll be still searching and searching and searching. And it's interesting how we all are, and I'm included in this. Like, we think, we look around and we have all our stuff, and all of us in here, we have all kinds of stuff, right? Stuff that makes us happy. All, you know, we're, we're loaded with stuff, money and all that stuff. And, um, and we look around our stuff, and we don't feel fulfilled by it, right? I mean, it just doesn't. Maybe it makes us happy for a while, but then it kind of goes away, kind of melts away. And we look at our stuff, and we're like, man, I, I don't feel fulfilled. All this stuff's not satisfying me. I have an idea. I'm going to get some different stuff. I have an idea. I need some more stuff. Like, think about it. We're so, like, dumb, you know? We do that. It's like we don't learn. Okay, this really made me happy at least for a while, but it didn't fulfill forever. So I want this now, and so now I'm going to work my butt off to get, to get this going. And, and it just doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't give us that peace and safety and security that we all long for. And so here's Paul saying, hey, guys, watch out. Don't get caught up in all that. Right? That enslaves us. That traps us. And guess what? We're the ones who let it happen. Like, we're the ones who let it happen in our life. So he starts off this morning saying, you got to be careful. Watch out. Next verse. He says, for the entire fullness, right, not 10%, not half, not 90%, not 99%. He says 100% of God's nature, check this out, dwells bodily in Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying Jesus was 100% God, right? Jesus was God, and because of that, you meaning those of you who have given your lives over to Jesus, which probably isn't everybody in this room, but you who have, have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So what, he, what is he saying here? He's saying, hey, we don't need to do a bunch of works to do a bunch of good stuff to reach a higher level of spirituality or a higher level of peace or a higher level of security or a higher, higher level of safety. What he's saying is, is that everything we need to grow in our relationship with God, guess what? We already got it. He's already filled us with that. All right, we're filled with it. He took care of that. Like when we became a true believer and when we made that decision to give our life over to Jesus, God gave us everything we need to feel fulfilled. We don't have to chase after all those other things. We don't have to climb all these other ladders. And even more than that, when we made that decision, Paul here, he says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done by, with hands, uh, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Now, some of you guys, you're like, this got weird real quick, right? Circumcision all over the place. It's like, what? Some of you guys are new and you're like, okay, I came to the wrong church, I think, uh, today. But yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, but this, but this is the imagery that Paul is trying to get us 
to understand here. See, in the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people to circumcise all the Jewish boys. Okay, that was um, really, it was an outward visible symbol representing the deal that the Jewish people had with God. The Old Testament calls it a covenant, but really for us, it's a deal. And so this was God's idea. Now, it feels kind of weird to me, right? It's not necessarily what I would pick. I don't know why God picked this, but this is what God picked to use as an outward um, symbol. And uh, by the way, if you don't know what this is, maybe you're a kid in here or whatever, go ask your mom later. Um, I'm sure she would love to answer about this, okay? And uh, don't ask your dad, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's an outward sign, right? You, it's an outward sign saying you are a child of God. It's an outward sign in the Old Testament with the Jewish people that saying I am a part of God's promises. And so Paul, it's a little complicated, he's using this imagery to show the Colossian people who had a lot of Jewish people in the church, and so they would totally have understood this. And he's saying, hey, when you were saved, he's saying you were like, think of it this way, spiritually circumcised. Like in the Old Testament, they cut off a piece of you and physically cut it off. But here, he's saying now God spiritually takes a part of you, and it's your old self, and he cuts it off and he throws it away. That's what he does, and it's gone. And it's no longer a part of you anymore. It is over. He severs it from your life. And so Paul's like, hey, if the Old Testament outward symbol of a relationship with God is this thing called circumcision, because for some reason that's what God picked, now the outward symbol of having a relationship with God is this thing called baptism. And I'm sure all the Colossian church, especially the non-Jewish people, were like, okay, thank you. All right, they're super excited about that. That's what he says next. He says, hey, this, when the moment that you gave your life over to Jesus, you were actually buried with him in baptism. Now, we'll explain exactly what this means in just a second. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. So here, what Paul's doing is he describes baptism. And what we see in the New Testament is that there's kind of two different types of baptism. I'll sit down as I explain this, because this is going to get a little complicated and a little confusing. So two different types of baptism in the New Testament. One, you got baptism by the Spirit. That's what God does spiritually. This happens the moment that we become a Christian. This is what Paul's talking about here. God does this. But there's also the other type of baptism, which is physically, and we do with water, which is probably what everybody in here probably thinks about when we think of the word baptism. This is something that is not done by God, obviously, um, and it's done by the church. And this is something that should happen after we give our life over to Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so here Paul is talking about spiritual baptism, kind of like he just talked about spiritual circumcision, which is kind of weird. And uh, he's saying spiritually, you know how God cut off our old self, spiritual circumcision. He's saying now spiritually God submerses us into Jesus' righteousness. What? Meaning Jesus' righteousness gets to become our righteousness. Meaning we get submersed in it where it like gets all over. Does that make sense? It's like we're getting dunked, whereas everywhere we are submerged by his righteousness. Now, um, we get mixed up on baptism. Christians get mixed up on baptism. Churches get mixed up on baptism. And I have had lots of people ask me questions like, well, okay, does a true Christian have to be baptized? And the answer to that is technically, yes, spiritually. That's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, that needs to happen on the inside. That's not something that you do. That's something that God does for you. 
Well, okay, then does a true Christian have to be baptized with water? And the answer is yes, to be obedient, not to be saved. Does that make sense? All right. No, that doesn't make sense to anybody. Okay. <laughs> All right. So yes, to be obedient, we should be baptized. No, we don't have to be baptized to be saved, which is the most important thing. Now, many churches don't teach this. Many churches actually teach the opposite. They teach, no, 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 no. The, you have to be baptized by water, by a pastor or whoever, a priest, you know, whatever it might be for that church. And, um, and so that's what you got to do in order to get to heaven. By the way, let me just point this out real quick, that if you have to be baptized by water to be saved and you have to physically do that, aren't you, you know, what you're actually doing is you are earning your way to heaven with doing something good, which happens to be the exact thing that Paul's warning us about here. Isn't that kind of interesting? Right? If we have to do that to be saved or to, or to have the true relationship with God, we actually have to go do that, then what we're actually doing is we're doing the exact thing that Paul's saying, don't get caught up in. Right? God does everything, not you. It's kind of like a wedding ring, right? Like a wedding ring. Um, what's this do? This symbolizes my marriage with Kate. Okay, that's, that's what it does. And so if I take my wedding ring off, am I not married to Kate anymore? No. Nah. I'm still married to her, okay? It has nothing to do whether I'm married um, to her necessarily or not. If I give you my wedding ring, are you suddenly married to Kate? You wish, all right? She's mine. <laughs> no, you are not, okay? The wedding ring has nothing to do with whether you are married to, you know, whether that marriage is there or not. What it does is, is it symbolizes the relationship that you have. Same thing with baptism. Baptism symbolizes the relationship that you have with Jesus. By the way, I just want to point out, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized after you made the decision to give your life to Jesus, you should. That's obedience. You should do that. And we can help you out with that, obviously. And you could sign up at the information center. You could write on a little card, drop that off. You could call into the church office. You can email the church office. You can, you know, I think you, you can comment on the Facebook. I don't know. Do whatever you want. But get a hold of us, and we will make that happen. I mean, we do that periodically. A lot of you guys have been baptized here. That's just a symbol, like a wedding ring saying, hey, this is who I am. This is my identity is now with Jesus. And so Paul, he's talking about, that technically he's talking about the spiritual baptism that happens when we give our life over to Jesus. And then Paul goes on, and I think this is the best part. He says, and when you were dead. See right here, this, uh, he's saying when you were dead, right, this is our diagnosis. This is our problem. Paul's pointing out our issue. He's saying, you don't understand, you were dead, all right, you were dead. All right, and, and if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure things out, you can't remember a time maybe when you gave your life to Jesus or you're just like, like you're not so sure, not ready to jump in. I just want to point out to you um, that uh, it, it, you feel like there's something wrong. You should because there is. Paul's saying, God's saying, you're dead. You're dead on the inside. It is that there is something wrong with you. Now, all of us in here, we either are or we were dead, meaning we were all spiritually powerless to have peace, safety, and security in our life. Right? We can't fully achieve that. Uh, last week, I was at a wedding. Uh, a couple in here got married. And uh, it, was, um, it was at a park around here. And uh, my, kids, my kids were there, and there's a field next door. And they found a dead possum. 
okay? They were super pumped about it. It was like half there, half bones, half not there. It was kind of gnarly teeth, you know, uh, possum. And, um, and so what do they do? They do what kids do, right? You get a stick, start poking at the thing. You kick it around a little bit. Lizzie was out there, so I had to tell him not to eat it. You know, I'm like, don't eat anything from it, okay? Because I have to tell her that type of thing. And, um, and you're looking at it. And what am I, as a parent, you know what I'm not worried about? I'm not worried about it coming back to life. You know? Like, I'm not worried about that. Like, think about when you maybe have seen a dead animal, okay? Maybe it's been dead for a while. Let's say that. Some of you guys are starting to cry because you're a cat or something. You know, you're like, oh, sparky, you know, whatever. Um, think about when you've seen, like, a dead animal that's been dead for a while. Roadkill, whatever. Something you're not attached to. Make it easier for you people. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not coming back to life, Right? Like they never do. I've never seen one come back to life. In fact, what, you know what happens? It starts rotting. And it gets worse and worse and worse. It gets farther and farther and farther away from being alive. That's just, you know, that's just what happens. And so um, what Paul's trying to get us to understand, he's saying that was us. That was us. We were dead, like a dead animal, like roadkill. Then there was nothing we could do. We were rotting from the inside out. That's our diagnosis. That's our problem. That's what none of us, we might walk around like we have everything all together in our life, but we don't. Paul's saying we were dead in what? In our trespasses. Trespasses is just another word for sin. It's the wrong things that we do in our life. It's our constant rebellion against our creator, which all of us are guilty of including me. He says, and when you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, Jesus, and forgave us all of our trespasses. Notice this word trespasses is plural. Notice he says all, right? This is all the things that we've done wrong, right? This is, this is the big ones, the big sins, the big things that we're all like, oh yeah, okay, I, I, I admit that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But this is also the little gross ones that we don't talk about and we don't think about. All right? This is everything. See, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. You know what he came to? He came to make dead people alive. That's why he came. And this is so key to understanding what it means to be a Christian. It's actually so key to what true peace, safety, and security comes from. Right? It doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from all these ways the world tells us to live our life. It only comes from Jesus. It's the only way. There's no other way. We were dead. He's the only one who can make us alive. Why? Because he forgave us what we did wrong. Now, this word forgive, it doesn't mean he pardoned us. It doesn't mean he ignored our sin. He can't do that. It means he paid it. He paid it. Imagine this. Imagine walking into God's courtroom carrying your record of debt. You ever think about that? Like how many sins maybe you've racked up? Um, it wouldn't be one page, okay? There would be a lot of pages. It would be maybe something like this. Um, probably a lot bigger than this, but this is what I wanted to manage on stage. So it would be something like this. Like you carry into the courtroom all the things you've ever done wrong in your entire life. And you're walking in, and uh, you start looking at it, and it ends basically at the moment of your death. You know, you're like, oh, okay, right before I died, I did that. Like this morning, it's uh, just 25 minutes ago, I exaggerated a sermon illustration to make myself look better and make my point stand out more to more people. Okay, I didn't write that, but yeah, whatever, it's my secretary. Anyway, <laughs> stuff like that, okay. I sped into work today. 
I didn't use a turn signal. All right? I had that bad thought, okay? That person that annoys me, I see out there as I'm talking, and I'm like, oh, that guy again, you know? And I'm thinking through all this stuff. You know, I'm an evil person, okay? I just am. And I'm looking at this, and you start reading it, and you're like, oh, man, I actually do a lot more bad things than I thought. I actually sin more than I think I sin. And you're looking through it, and you're like, you know, you're like, wow, okay, this is embarrassing. I did this and this and this. I mean, think about it. Maybe heaven's... God's courtroom's too far away for you. Imagine bringing in your record of debt, your record of sin to church every week where we could all read it. It'd just be like, it'd be embarrassing. There's things that would be way longer than you'd think. It'd be things on there that you're like, oh, I didn't realize I did that. Oh, I didn't know that was going to be on there. Every sin ever committed. I mean, this is not just your outward, hey, I pinched my sister when I was eight years old, right? This is all the internal ones, the internal sins, the thoughts, Right? Your mind, every negative emotion you've had towards anybody, everything you've ever said wrong, every wrong thought. And by the way, the longer you live, the longer this list gets. And you're just going through it, going through it. And God's like looking at it, and he's looking this over, and he's just like, wow, this is a lot of stuff, right? You've done a lot of bad things. This is, this is not good. And God looks at our sin, and looks at our list of wrongs, and he looks at our debt, and he views this as almost like a bill for us. Now, I don't know about you. I hate bills. I don't like bills. Anytime I can walk out to the mailbox and I have nothing in there, I, I'm like, oh, no bills. This is a great day. Right? It makes the day so much better. Bills, we all understand how bills work. right? You, lo- you use electricity at your house, and uh, at the end of the month, they send you a bill for the amount of electricity that you use. It's a debt. You owe them that money. And so this is like a bill that we owe God. And we've all racked up a huge bill. And it's a lot bigger than we realize. And it's bigger than we could ever pay. And God can't just ignore this bill. He can't ignore it. All right, it's huge. He can't just go, oh, that's a cute little bill. You could just hide that away, okay? He can't just say, oh, that doesn't exist. Oh, it's, it's, it's gone. Don't worry about it. He can't ignore it because that wouldn't be right. And so here Paul, he says in the next verse, he's like, so this is what he did. He says, he erased the certificate of debt, or he erased that bill with its obligations. You know what its obligations were? Hell for eternity. Kind of a serious thing. Not a place that I want to go to because we've all sinned against an eternal, infinite God. We deserve an infinite price. And so so he erased the certificate of debt. He erased our bill that we owed him with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And so here he's saying, hey, uh, you know, it sounds weird, but yeah, you weren't there 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and when he died on that cross on that day. But your sins kind of were. Right? Your materialism. Your pride, your gossip, your pornography problem, your addictions, your lies, your bad attitudes, your evil thoughts, your lust. Jesus took all of that and he gathered it all up because he could not just ignore it. It couldn't be like, oh no, this doesn't need to be paid. He couldn't forgive it in that sense. He gathered it all up and he threw it away when he died on that cross to where it was just gone. And it was gone, and there's nothing that anybody could ever do with it, and we would never, ever see it again. That's what he did to us. That's what he did for us 2,000 years ago when he died on that cross. He took that into the grave with him, and three days later, he walked out without it. That's 
what Jesus did. And even though this happened in the past, we get to benefit from it now. I mean, think about, imagine somebody paying off all your loans. Wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, people. You guys like to be in debt. Come on. I mean, come on. All right. Um, and so, you know, imagine that happening. They pay off your school loans. They pay off your car loans. They pay off your, your mortgage. They pay off your cell phone bill. You know, they pay off whatever, whatever debt you have. Imagine that happening. I mean, uh, that would be awesome. By the way, if anybody wants to do that for me, you are more than welcome to pay off my debt. I won't say no, and I wouldn't stop you, okay? Just throwing that out there. But, um, but this, this is what he's saying. Like, how awesome would that be? I mean, it would be great for some people that would completely change, like, the trajectory of our life. Like, it would completely change everything, right? I mean, wouldn't it? Like, today we have debt, tomorrow we have no debt. I mean, it would be awesome. Think of how much better this is. This had eternal consequences, not a 30-year banknote. This was an eternal consequence of hell forever in pain, and God took that, and he paid it, all right? He didn't just, he didn't just do it without knowing all the, the bad thing, you know, the bad people we were. No, no, no. He did that knowing about the lust and the addictions and the thought life and the pride and the rebellion. He did it anyway, and he didn't just do it 90%. I mean, he's already said here, he said he did it fully, meaning he paid for 100% of it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't pardon it. He paid it, and it cost him. But not only did he pay our debt, not only did he take us from being dead and making us alive, but one thing that's pretty sweet, I think, he also, in the next verse, he says, but he also disarmed the rulers and authorities and, dis and disgraced them publicly, and he triumphed over them in him, meaning in Jesus. What's that mean? All right, this is something that the Colossian people totally understood, totally got. Okay, because they lived in the Roman Empire, and this kind of thing happened all the time. When Rome would go and conquer a city, they would go, and, um, and after they conquered it, they would first de or disarm all of the, the opposing army, and then they would handcuff them, and they would march them through the city while they all, like, mocked them and threw stuff at them and, like, made fun of them and stuff, okay? That's what they did. They humiliated them publicly. And so that showed everybody, hey, you don't want to be an enemy of Rome because not only are we going to defeat you and kill you, but we're also going to make fun of you and then kill you. Like just all this stuff. And so that sword, right, this is the imagery behind this, that sword that was built, created, and made to kill you, okay, right, that sword now becomes your sword. You get that sword, and you could do with it whatever you want. You get that sword that was made to kill you, and you get to use it for your advantage. That's what Jesus did to the enemy. That's what Jesus did to Satan and the fallen angels. See, not only did he defeat them, he disarmed them, and he used their weapons, death. He used their weapon, death, against them. He used the weapon death that was actually going to be against us, and he used it against the enemy. He used that weapon death that was going to be against him, and he used it against Satan and the enemy. In fact, what we know in the Bible is that during the three days that Jesus, you know, in between Jesus' death and his resurrection, that Satan, or not Satan, <laughs> that Jesus, he actually goes down to hell and just tells all the demons, he's like, hey, guys, by the way, I did it. Check me out. You know, he goes down and tells them. He announces to him, he's like, hey, just want to let you guys know, um, I won, you guys lose, and uh, you thought maybe you won the battle, but I won the war. Like, that's what he did, which I think is pretty awesome. He's like bragging about it. And as Christians, 
That's what we build our life on. That's what brings hope. That is what brings fulfillment. That's what brings peace and safety and security. That's what, that's what Paul wants us to understand. And Paul actually wraps up his thought. In verse 20, he says, it, by the way, when I read this, I want us to picture as if this is God talking to you here this morning. Because it is. It's God's word. Right? Picture God talking to you this morning because every single one of us, we all struggle with the same issues that the Colossian church was struggling with. We all struggle with all these surrounding worldviews and philosophies, and the world's constantly telling us how to, how to live our life. And religion's constantly telling us how to live our life. Do these things. Do that. Do that. Don't do that. You know, just all of this stuff. Picture God talking to you this morning, personally. If you were to say, hey, guys, like if you died with Jesus to the elements of this world, like, I don't understand. Why, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Like, why do you do that? This doesn't make any sense. Like, why do you submit to regulations and all these, all these things? He actually gives examples like, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Just all these rules that man, may, man have come up with to like, hey, you got to do this. You want to live a life right? You want to feel fulfilled? You need to support this cause? You need to do this? You need to stand up for these people? Just all this stuff. He's like, these like regulations or rules or ways to live, he's like, they refer to what is destined to perish. He's like, that's worthless. It's going to go away someday. By being used up, he says, they are human commands and doctrines, saying that's man-made stuff. The American dream, 